Our Bible reading this morning comes from Colossians as we continue the series in this amazing book, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, reading from verse 15 down to 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to you and to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is God's word for us this morning. Amen. Testing, one, two. So, last Sunday morning was a great morning uh, at uh, Hertford Street where we inducted Pastor Josh Tan into the pastorate there and some of you guys were there and it was great for you to go and support him. Thank you for that. And this morning is his first time preaching to Hertford Street Church as their pastor. So I sent him, sent him a text this morning saying thinking of you mate and preach the word which is I'm pretty sure that's exactly what he will do so that was certainly an exciting time and I trust you had a good time here last Sunday morning with Pastor David beginning the series on Colossians which is what we're continuing today I'm going to ask you to bear with me and let's pray Heavenly Father may the words of scripture that we have read and that now that we'll talk about may they become part of our lives we ask that you would do this work by your spirit, that you would implant truth in us that would transform us, that we might follow Jesus, the preeminent one. We ask this in his name and for his glory. And everybody said. 
The Colossian church was a church that the Apostle Paul had indirectly founded through his offsite at Epaphras. Just to remind you, I'm sure, of what David said last week. Church had grown, uh, was in a community which was certainly changing. There was a new emperor on the throne. <clears throat> With a new emperor, just like they've got a new president in the United States, comes new hopes. That maybe this one will bring freedom. Maybe this one will bring peace into our world. Maybe this one will fix that which is broken. That's always the feeling that we have when we get new political leaders. Watch how many people have that with a new American president, but certainly some people do. Well, back in the first century, that's what was going on in the community of Colossae. There was a new emperor, Nero. The old emperor, Claudius, had gone. He was a new, young, gifted speaker, a man of the arts, victorious in battle, on whom many hopes were pinned. And throughout the empire, because Rome was quite extensive, there would be <clears throat> the media of the ancient world was not like we have, you know, newspapers and TVs and coverage and so on. The way they got names and the image of the emperor out was by producing coins and putting the head of the little of the emperor on it. We still do that today, don't we? Have our rulers on coins. And they would have made life-size statues, both of Nero, the emperor, but also of his family. And that would have been duplicated throughout the empires, so that the people would at least have a physical image of what the emperor looked like. The Apostle Paul picks up on that in this passage in writing to the Colossian church, which had been inundated with some people who were not, at this stage, directly attacking the person and work of the Lord Jesus, but they were just simply wanting to add to him. They didn't deny that he was very important, they just did, they wanted to dethrone him, if you like. Uh, that he was one amongst many, not the one who was supreme over all. Apostle Paul pens. Now, whether he's quoting or whether he himself originated this incredible passage of scripture, this poetic bit of scripture, whether it's quoting an ancient hymn, which is possible. Um, many commentators, scholars certainly think so. There's another group of scholars who think the Apostle Paul actually created this, that he penned it, that when he thinks about Jesus just out of the overflow of his heart, these very strong theological concepts come to play. At the end of our time this morning, then we'll be asked the question about who do you think Jesus is? And this passage certainly gives us some clues. Paul begins by saying to the Colossians, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Just like there were new coins and new statues of the new emperor. So in fact, if you want to know what God is like, look at the person of Jesus, study him. Because he in fact is God in human flesh. Not pretending, not a human who becomes God. This person existed eternally before he came to earth. He is God who became human. Not partly human, fully human. It's not helpful or accurate probably to talk about that and sometimes as we sometimes may say or hear others say that he was 100% God and 100% human. That's not logical or helpful. It's more correct to say he was fully God and fully human. 
whatever attributes or qualities or characteristics are needed for a person to be designated as divine, as God, Jesus was that. And whatever is required of us to be human, Jesus was that. There are some very ancient, <clears throat> and they probably still reside in, into our day and age, ideas which became heresies, but people trying to grapple with, how could this happen? A very common idea was that Jesus had a physical human body, that he had a physical soul, but that he had a divine mind. Or that it was, you know, a physical body, but he had a divine soul. Or... No, that doesn't cut it. He had a physical body, human body, human mind, human soul, human spirit, fully human. And yet, fully God. All of the attributes and qualities and characteristics of God, he had. Both together. Two natures, one human, one divine, one person. How does that happen? I don't know. Nobody does. Both are true and we must maintain that both are true as this passage either states and or will allude to. Paul is writing to the Colossians because they had come under some influence of some people from whatever source, whether local or from the east or developing ancient Greek philosophy eventually to grow into a thing called Gnosticism. That they had this idea that as good as Jesus was, that he came, he's certainly a superior being to us, but he's not the supreme being. He was probably, in fact, maybe for some of them, he's the last rung on the ladder because he's the one who created the world, the material world and everything in it. And as we said last week and a week before that, their idea was that matter was evil, that matter didn't matter. It wasn't important. You could abuse it or you could um, restrict it tightly. With whatever you chose to do with it, it wasn't really important because what was really important was the spiritual. Some Christians think like that today, incorrectly. And these false teachers, it would seem, had Jesus on maybe the last rung of the ladder, but there were other rungs and higher ascending rungs, and whether they were angels or other beings or other sorts of beings, and at the top of the ladder was the supreme being. And in their thinking, what they were doing was divorcing the supreme, perfect, pure spiritual being from the physical matter down here. And he did that by creating these, what are called emanations, these various rungs on the ladder. And this is Jesus. That seems to be the background or part of the background of their thinking. We can't be overly dogmatic because we don't have... We just have one side of the argument. We have Paul's information. So there's a fair bit of guesswork involved in it, but it's something like that. And so Paul writes to say, Jesus is not one among and he's not even the lowest one of. He is the supreme being. And in fact, he writes in this passage that this supreme being, Jesus is that visible image of that invisible God, the supreme being. Jesus existed before anything was created, which therefore means he is eternal. And he is supreme over all creation, or your Bible might say he is the firstborn of all creation. And you've had people knock on your door like I have had knock on mine, and they quote that quite literally. They think Jesus was the firstborn of all 
of all creation, excuse me. What they mean by that is he was the first one who was created. There's God. He creates Jesus, and then Jesus creates everything else. But Jesus is not God. The Father is God. The Father created the Son. The Son creates everything else. But Jesus is not God. He's a God. Those people knocking on your doors believed very similar things to what the ancient people believed in Colossae, this false teaching. It's still around today. When the Apostle Paul says that Jesus existed before anything, therefore he is eternal. And when it says he is the firstborn of creation, the Apostle Paul does not mean, because of the context, he does not mean that he is the first one who was created. He uses, he's using it rather in another technical sense of saying he is the one who owns it all. He is the firstborn. He inherits it all. He owns it all. It's a technical term. And the translators of the New Living Translation get it exactly right when they translate. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. That's what he means. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities, even in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. What we are not aware of in our world but in Paul's world there was a, a Greek philosophy and they maintained that there were three primary causes or reasons for things to come into existence and into being they believed that there was a primary cause they believed that there was an instrumental cause and they believed that there was a final cause in through for the primary cause is the one who comes up with a plan. The instrumental cause is the one who actually produces it or does it. And the final cause is the purpose for which that thing has been created. And the Apostle Paul deliberately takes those words in verse 16. In him, through him and for him. He did it all. He's not bottom and rung of the ladder. He's not even on the ladder. He's above the ladder. He is supreme. He is preeminent. And he is the one who is the image of the invisible God who came into our world. And he is the one who miraculously and marvelously, also in verse 17 says, he existed before anything else and he holds all of creation together. What causes the earth to hang in space on nothing? and to revolve around the sun and to continue to do so and what causes our sun to hang on nothing with a whole solar what's holding it there jesus that's what this passage is saying what's holding the very atoms together in our world of matter itself jesus he made it he's sustaining it he's holding it together he is the firstborn. He is the one who owns it all. He is supreme over all. That's who he is. <clears throat> and of course, he won't always do that. One day, someday, he will stop holding it together. The Bible teaches us that the elements will uh, explode with a fervent heat. The universe will dissolve. 
and then he will create a new heavens and a new earth. We exist by his very power and by his permission and for no other. Every breath you take at his permission, supreme. That's who he is. Then the Apostle Paul goes on in this wonderful constructed poem, hymn, song, passage of scripture to point out for us that that's just not true of the universe here physically but it's also true of the spiritual creation the church verse 18 Christ is also head of the church which is his body he is the beginning again the firstborn supreme over all who rise from the dead so he is first in everything for God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God has reconciled everything to himself made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood shed on the cross. Jesus is head of the church. There are lots of pictures of the church in the New Testament. In this particular case, the church is his body, both universally and locally, and he is the head. The body cannot exist without the head. He is the origin. He is the ruler. He is the leader. He is the one who supplies the life force. He is the one who works through and operates through the church. He is the vine, we are the branches. We bear fruit because he is at work in us as we cooperate with him. It's his word that nourishes us and teaches us. He's the head. Pastors aren't the head. Senior pastors aren't the head. General superintendents are not the head. Popes are not the head. Bishops aren't. Members aren't. Jesus is. Jesus is. He alone is Lord of the church, his church. We do what he says. Christ is head of the church, which is his body, firstborn from the dead. Not the first to rise from the dead. But the first for others who preceded him in the Old Testament, who died and who were raised again, and even the three people whom he himself raised from the dead, including Lazarus, they, were, they died, some of them were buried, and then when they were raised, they were brought back from death to this life, so that one day they would eventually die again. Jesus is the first one. Jesus is the only one so far who when he died didn't come back from death into this life but rather he went through death into the new creation, into the new life. He's first kept off the rank in the very new creation. He is a glimpse. Uh, his post-resurrection appearances are a glimpse, a foretaste of what the new creation, the new heaven, new earth will be like. <clears throat> because the current laws of physics and laws of gravity and laws of everything else that we exist under will be different then. Just as they were different for him. Closed door, solid walls, and he can appear in their midst. He can ascend to the clouds. Gravity, matter, different rules. It's a foretaste. He is the firstborn to come back. He took humanity to a new glorified level. That's what he's done. And it's a foretaste for all of us who are in him. 
this is what will happen for the church. Jesus will raise it and it will be glorified, the whole church. And for you to be part of that, you need to be part of his church, his body, by believing in him. All of this was done, the Apostle Paul says, so that he could be first in everything. First, primary, preeminent. And then very strongly, verse 19, for God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in him. Paul's being very clever. I don't know if you've spoken to Jehovah's Witnesses recently, in recent years, but they now use evangelical terms and words, but they have a different meaning. Is Jesus the Son of God? Yes. Did Jesus Christ die on Calvary's cross for sinners? Yes. Did he rise from dead? Yeah. Every question you ask them, they'll say yes to, but they mean something different. When you probe them, is Jesus the Son of God? Yes. Is he the Son of God? Is he God the Son? No. No, you mean the Father created him. Yeah. So these false teachers in Colossae had taken certain words and they were using them. One of the words they used is the word fullness. And they took that word to mean from Jesus, all up the rungs of the ladder, all to, up to God himself, that word. Everybody on that process, the fullness. For us to get to God, you have to go through this process. What does Paul say here, verse 19? For God, the Supreme One, in all of his fullness, is in Jesus. Jesus is fully God. And in fact, Paul uses a word that says, and was pleased to live in him, was pleased to dwell in him permanently. It wasn't temporary, it was always there, it was there eternally, it was there before creation. Why did all this happen? Well, verse 20 says, because God through Jesus is reconciling the world to himself, making peace, things in heaven, things on earth. Things in heaven, being reconciled to God. The new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. All of this was done. This passage, therefore, brings us to a point where it calls for a decision. <clears throat> I don't know if you know people. I hope you do. That sentence is not finished. But you talk to them and you ask them, what do you think of Jesus? Who do you think he was? And Australians have all different sorts of views. Not just Australians. <clears throat> Some people see Jesus like a policeman. What do you do when you see a police car on the highway? Uh, you check your speed, don't you? Just the very car with its police written on it is enough to bring us into line. Hope I wasn't speeding. They think Jesus is like that, that he's watching and that he's going to smack anybody who's disobeying rules or regulations. Some people see Jesus like a policeman. Some people see him as a good man, some as a prophet. Some simply is an example to follow. Some people see Jesus like a genie. You know, you rub the magic lantern and, and he gives you what you want. He, he, he's a servant, if you like, he's a genie. It's, he's obligated. You ask for something, then he delivers. Some people see Jesus as a mascot or a lucky charm. Some people see him as a buddy or as a friend. Mick Dundee did. He thought he and Jesus would be mates. The reality is, with all of those perceptions or pictures of Jesus, 
they're all of them glimpses of truth. They're all partly true. But in fact, he is all of that and more. Jesus is like a policeman because he is a righteous judge. Jesus is a good man. And he was certainly a man and without sin. Jesus was a prophet. He did speak for God. He certainly did set us an example to follow. He's not a genie in the sky, but he is someone who listens to us and who does answer our prayers according to his will. He's not a mascot or a lucky charm, but he is present with us and his presence does make a difference. He does give advice. He is a buddy or a friend, as he says it, but he's all of that and more. He's the master. He's the king. He is the Lord. He's the creator. He's the supreme one. He is the one who owns it all and who holds it all together. He is the head of the church. Listen carefully. The person that we call Christ was invisible, eternal and supreme. He created everything and he owns it all, still does. And he continues to sustain it all. And he became visible at Christmas. He was God, he is God, and God lived in him fully, permanently. And through his incredible sacrificial death, he pays the penalty for everybody in order to reconcile everything to himself. He rises from the dead, entering into a new creation existence, uniquely, firstly. He is first in everything. He is the one who reconciles us to God, not angels, not emanations, and not other beings on other uh, rungs of the ladder. He's not one among, he is one above. He is preeminent, supreme. It certainly calls for a decision. Do you believe and understand that that's who Jesus is? Do you accept that's who he is? Do you confess that he is Lord? Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Is he supreme to you? Can you confess with Martin Luther, no other God have I but thee, born in a manger, died on a tree? If Jesus was supreme, is supreme to you, and in you, what would that then look like? Is he first in your life? What would your speech be like? And particularly your speech about him to others. Attitudes, use of time, levels of obedience, kind and accepting of others like he was. Passionate followers of the Lord Jesus will cooperate with him working in their lives with what he is doing. My question to you this morning is this. In what ways is God calling you to make Jesus Christ preeminent in your life? False teachers out there detract either from his person or from his work. They make him lower than, what, than who he is 
and they often add to what he did. And some of the residue of that can reside in our hearts. That we can mentally assent to saying he is sovereign Lord and God, eternal creator, head of the church. We tick all of those boxes. But from this head, this brain where we acknowledge that, it's got to go down to the heart and residing in here is this mixture of, well, yes, he is Lord, but I like to do my own thing. And yes, he does say that I ought not to do that, but I like doing it. And there's this dichotomy, this dualism within us of, we believe this, we say that, we sing it. <clears throat> Are we living it? So my question to you this morning is, what is God calling you to change in your life or to do in your life, which is going to far more clearly demonstrate that Jesus Christ is preeminent? What is there that you need to start? There might be something. Well, you're already doing it, but you need to increase it. Maybe it's something you need to stop or at least to modify in your life. Is Jesus preeminent in your family? And if you're the husband, you're the head of the family. Bowls in your court. Not in your court alone. Mums and dads together in your court with a family. But dads, you take the lead. Dads, husbands, you take it with your wives. And ladies, if he isn't or if he won't, then pray that God will change him and you very gently do that which is right for Jesus to be preeminent in you. Is Jesus preeminent in your family? Is he preeminent in your use of time, your entertainment, your use of finances, in your priorities? Leonardo da Vinci painted a very famous painting and Dan Brown wrote a novel about it. The painting is The Lord's Supper. According to the teacher's outline and study Bible, when Leonardo painted The Lord's Supper, his masterpiece, he invited a friend to come and critique it. And the friend made the comment, the most striking thing about that painting is the cup in the centre. To which Leonardo then is reported to have taken his brush and to wipe out the cup, painted over it and saying, responded, nothing in my painting shall detract or attract more attention than the face of my master. So the story is told. Telling of the story that's the attitude we need. What is there in our lives which is distracting from him being preeminent? What stops us glorifying him? In many lives, Jesus Christ is present, but he is marginalised 
It's on the edge, rather than magnified, obvious to all. That's our question. That's my reflection from that passage. Who is Jesus? Supreme, preeminent, Lord, Master. And we need to go the next step instead of just saying that, in fact, that needs to be translated into our lives. That we are sold out, submitted to and fully committed to him. That we'll do what he says. And that we'll help each other in the process of doing that. That's what he's looking for. Improvement, commitment, feet pointed in the direction of being passionate followers of Jesus. Let's bow together. I'm going to give you a minute or two for you to answer the question just silently in your own mind in the Lord's presence. Lord, what is there that you want me to start or increase in my life? What is there that you want me to stop or at least to modify in my life? Lord, into this silence, speak your truth. Strengthen our wills for us to be obedient to what you are impressing upon our minds and hearts. Strengthen those who need to start something and encourage and empower those who need to stop something. But in all things, Lord Jesus, rule and reign in us, and through us for your honour and glory. We thank you that you are incredibly patient and gracious. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our inconsistencies. Forgive us for talking the talk, but not living it out. Change us. Make us more like yourself. Release your spirit in us. Empower us through him. Keep us submitted and listening into today and in the days of this week. And I ask, Lord, that you would prevent the evil one coming and taking away these truths which have been planted, these seeds which has been sown, these thoughts and concepts that people have heard. Help us to follow through. Again, we pray in your name. Amen. Please stand with us.